All right, if you could join me on the back of the bulletin or in your Bible in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2 and verse 7, or in Philippian, and in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2 and 7. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for the scripture that you've given us to help us know you better, help us know how we should see you, how we should treat you, how we should treat your name. Jesus, we worship you because you are good. You loved us so much. You've blessed us so much. And pray that this morning we would just understand better our role as your children and as those who've been saved by you. Jesus, I pray that you would keep these things on our mind throughout the week, and that we'd honor you and that we'd be humble and just continue to keep worshipful hearts as we go out. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. We want to... um continue our study in Exodus and uh, our study of the Ten Commandments. And before we get into this morning's study, we want to look at the context. This morning, though, before we do that, we'll look, here is what we will talk about. What does it mean to misuse God's name? What does it mean to take God's name in vain? And like most things in the Bible, it often means more than we think. We have an assumption or some thought of what it might mean, but I want to show you this morning that it probably means more than we all know. But before we do that, we always want to understand the Ten Commandments in their proper context. And so if you have your Bible, look at Exodus chapter 20, um, verse 1 says, And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. And that is a, a, a crucial starting point to understand the the Ten Commandments, because God is speaking, he's revealing himself to us. He's telling us what he is like. And the big picture characteristic of what God is like here in the Ten Commandments that we see is that God is a redeemer, is that he rescues people. And that regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless of what you did last night, or what you did when you were a teenager, God extends his grace to all people. And once we have experienced God's grace and understood God's grace, then we can begin to understand the Ten Commandments. But the common danger, and I say this, I'll repeat this every morning that we look at the Ten Commandments, is because we are all programmed to think that the Ten Commandments are a ladder that we climb to make ourselves acceptable to God. 
And that is not the right understanding of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are given to us to help us understand how God wants us to live. The Hebrew word Torah is the word that carries the idea of instructions. And it, it's really important to understand this connection. It is the idea of a father instructing his children. It is a father giving guidance for his children on how he wants them to live. It is not meant to be this oppressive, different form of slavery that religion or law can push upon people. Again, the Ten Commandments are not something we follow to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves acceptable to God. God extends his grace and mercy to us all each and every day to show us who he is. But, or however, he wants to teach us how to live, to make progress in our lives. And so he wants to give us instructions. And instructions aren't always easy. Sometimes they need to be clear reminders of how he wants us to live. Um, earlier this summer, one of my boys had a surfing accident. The fin came down and hit him on the head and split his head open. We were out in the water yesterday, and it almost happened again. And when, I, when it happened the first time, I told my son, listen, if we're surfing Zuma and you fall and you feel like the board's going to shoot up in the air, stay underwater for an extra one-two count and come up with your hands over your head so this doesn't happen again. Well, it happened yesterday, and, and thankfully, though, the board was a soft top, and it came really close to hitting him in the head again. And so that was my chance, as the father again, to remind him, listen, it might be uncomfortable if you crash in a wave and you like, feel like you're losing your air. Well, it's worth it just for a count of one, two, to stay under a second longer and come up protecting your head. That was not me trying to make his life miserable. That was a dad saying, hey, I don't want to take you to the ER again. I don't, we don't want staples in your head again. I'm reminding you and I'm teaching you again that you have to protect your head. So it is the idea of these instructions that God gives us to live. It is, think of it as this way, that God, our Father, is teaching us how to live, how he wants us to live, how he wants to bless us and give us an amazing, balanced, healthy lifestyle that blesses and honors our Heavenly Father. So that is the context of the Ten Commandments. Specifically in this morning, we want to talk about what it means to take God's name in vain. Verse 7 says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It's really interesting. Uh, earlier this week, I did a, a search on the most Google names of 2013, and uh, we talked about it this morning with a, a few guys, and I'm not sure what this says about our country and the things we care about and the names we care about, but here's the point. We have to remember that names represent people and lifestyle. Names are not just empty things, okay? So here we go. Number four, Justin Bieber. The number four search name, and I'll probably even mispronounce some of these names, but I apologize, but this is things I'm not particularly in the know about. Kim Kardashian, number three. Number two, Drake. I have no idea who that is. Raise your hand if you have no idea who that person is. Are all the people... <laughs> 
the 30 and over club. Drake, yeah, I have no idea. He's not a baseball player. All right, and then number one, number one is Miley Cyrus. Right? I knew that would get you all excited. Names, names actually mean something. And God wants us to know that his name actually means something. Oh, I think I just came I need to get a microphone like Miley Cyrus. This won't happen. <laughs> or one of the, no, never mind. Um, God's name actually means something. It actually is a glorious name that has weight and has significant meaning. So here's what we'll do this morning. We will start with this. We'll say, we'll break this up into four different ways to try to help us understand this. What is the commandment? What is the commandment? Why does it matter? And then what are the ways that we actually misuse his name? What is the commandment? Why does it matter? How do we misuse his name? And then how does Jesus help us live out this commandment? Okay, so uh, let's look at this. What is the commandment? The commandment, if we were to take a more literal translation... It, it means this, that when we take God's name in vain, it means we empty his name of significance. A literal meaning would be to raise up Yahweh's name to no good, to, to make it be empty, to lift it up to be casual, to lift his name up to be flippant, to be, it also has the range of meaning to be deceitful or to use it in the, with a the sense of fraud or to be dis, disingenuine. It's empty. Think back to your childhood, and this happens regularly in my family. You go to reach a box of cereal, and you're craving it, and you pick it up, and it's empty. Right? And you want cereal so bad, for whatever reason, I've not done a good job with my boys being their dad, of saying, when the cereal box is done, we throw it away. Right? And you're so looking forward to some cereal, and it's empty, and you're like, that is a very, I guess that's why I associate things with a lot of food, I guess. The idea of something being empty when, when it's intended or desires to be full is more profound than we think. It's far more profound than an empty cereal box. It's far more profound of thinking of God or using God's name when we're in a drastic situation or when our life just crashes and we call up his name. And then in other parts of our life, we're just flip and casual with his name. To use his name in vain is to turn his name into a common word when his name is heavy and, and glorious and worthy to be praised. The, the Ten Commandments are given to a community of people so that as a whole we would learn how to live in a right relationship with God. And he wants, if we go back to the Exodus context, <clears throat> he wants the nation of Israel 
as a community of people to highly esteem his name, to value it, and not to use it as a common name. And I understand the idea of reverence. These are words that are not normal for us in our culture today. The words like reverence and holy are highly esteemed, strongly valued. I've mentioned this before, I think, but probably the most reverent place I've been to in my life is Arlington National Cemetery and at the tomb of the unknown soldiers where the guards guard the tomb. And I'm not sure if this is true or not, so I'm not saying it is, but my tour guide told us this, and I've mentioned before that I take my eighth graders there every year. And this, this is uh, one story he told us about how they handle somebody who is irreverent at the tomb. And the first story he told us was about a little girl who was a two-year-old, about two years old. So that's about Lucy Reed, Locke and Ob's little girl, about that age. And she's there. And if you've been to the tomb, they mark off an area with a rope. And they will, in this really, really cool voice, give you some orders about taking off your hat and, and remaining silent and when they change the guards. Well, this little girl, the rope's right here, and she like ducks underneath the, the, the rope and begins like scurrying out to the, to the Marines. And the Marine, with their guns, walked up to this little girl and said the word halt in their most manly Marine voice. The little girl giggles. Right? And he's like, oh, this is fun. Starts to go around the Marine. The guy takes a step in front of her again. And even in his more manly voice with his rifle right here, says, halt. All right? And it, here's the thing. Cutest little girl. They don't care. They could care less how cute, how many ribbons she has in her hair. This is a reverent, solemn place. And they weren't barking at halt to the little two-year-old. Who were they barking at halt to? To mom and dad to get your little girl under control, that this is not a place to run around and pl be playful and, and think it's a joke time. They were, they were deadly serious about it. One other time, this happened right after, I think it happened right after we invaded Afghanistan, so 2001, 2002-ish, that time period, right after 9-11 or a few months after that. And they were, um, they, it was at the time where they were exchanging the guards and some man was there protesting the war and yelling profanity and, and cussing and swearing at the Marines. And they asked him, again with their, they had this amazing voice. You have to go there sometime. I hope you can sometime in your life. But it's so serious. And, and they said, stop. And the man was right, he was inside the rope and he wouldn't stop. He was yelling and cursing and he wouldn't stop. So the Marine, according to my travel guide, tour guide, took his rifle, took the butt, and just hit him right in the throat. <laughs> and he w fell to his knees and stopped talking. <laughs> and, and that, you know, that I've been there, I have been there probably 15 times, and I've never seen anything there but reverence, and they make it very clear that it's a place to be reverent. But I'm telling you that because it's so foreign to us, and God is much more reverent, deserves much more reverence than, than fallen soldiers, although they deserve our reverence. But God is God, and God is big, and God is holy, and God is righteous, and He's pure, and He's perfect. And His name is never intended to be made common, to be brought down as a cuss word or different types. So, we'll talk more about that in a second, but here's the point. 
God's name is never to be made empty of its significance. It's never to be turned into a common, careless word. God's name is intended to create reverence. Why? Because His name represents His essence. It's not just the letters G-O-D, right? Because in Russian, G-O-D does not mean God or in other languages. So it's not just the audible sound of God. It's that the name of God represents His character, all of who He is, His attributes. And the Jewish people at this time would understand His name to be the powerful, holy Redeemer. If you think back about how God rescued His people, He showed His power, He showed His authority, He showed His mercy, He showed His grace to people. And so when we misuse His name, and we empty His name of His significance, we're talking about taking away, we're talking about emptying His identity. God is present in His name. The name of God is significant because it represents His revealed nature. It's who God is. That's why it matters. Well, how do we do this? What are things that happen in our lives where we empty God's name of its significance? And I'll give you a hint. It's not just a short list of what you might think bad words might be. It probably will be that, but it's far more than that. Okay, so number one, one way that we misuse God's name is that we turn God's name into a common careless word. God's last name is not damn. Jesus' last name is not Christ. And it's misused commonly. We hear those words all of the time. And the danger, the concern for us <clears throat> is that they become so common and so emptied of meaning that it doesn't even affect us anymore. And then we begin to adapt and take on words, and we use our words carelessly. The picture that God wants of himself is that he is not common, he is not careless, he's omnipotent, he's powerful, he's our loving Heavenly Father who gave his Son for us, and he is not to be made common. We could go on and on. All you have to do is be around sports a little bit, and you can hear all kinds of different sayings that include the word Jesus Christ or God and all kinds of words put in the middle or in the beginning or the ends that empty God of his significance by turning it into a common word. It's really interesting, and we probably don't think about this this much, and, but when, we, when people say a curse word, how often they use the word Jesus Christ or just an expression or a reaction how did we ever get to the point of using that name, right? We don't say Bob Smith. We don't say George Washington. We don't say Muhammad. We don't say Buddha. The curse words are associated with God. That's one way of turning God's name into a common, careless word. Another way, and this is for the much more spiritual people here, we use the word God bless. Shoot an email off and, or a text or a phrase and we just throw out a God bless because it sounds nice and it's quaint and it's a little bit spiritual. But you have not thought through at all the meaning or significance 
and you, we've turned God's name into just a common little phrase, a trite phrase that's empty of meaning. Is that what we're really thinking when we, if you end a, an email like that, just God bless? Are you really hoping and praying that, that person would experience God's blessing that day? Well, if you are, well, then, then use it. But my point is this. We have all kinds of little catchphrases that are empty, meaningless words. They're just common words that don't contain the significance of who God really is. Number two, we use God's name in the wrong way or in vain. If you use it in an oath or in a false promise, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. And basically Jesus is saying, don't use my name to add reinforcement to what you're saying. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just simplify your life. Simplify your words. Just say what you mean and do what you say. James chapter 5, verse 12 says the same thing. Just let your yes be yes. Don't add God's name to the conversation or to your point to reinforce what you're trying to say. Another way that we can misuse God's name is when we slander other believers. When we become, or when you become a Christian, you take on the name of Christ. We are called Christians. We are called followers of Christ. Christ is in us. Our identity is in Christ. And when you slander another believer, you are slandering the name of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this. The book of Proverbs talks about this. Slander is to speak in a way that damages another person's reputation. That you are intentionally speaking about another person to damage who they are and to other people's perception of them. It also includes the idea of talking or enjoying talking about the scandal. You take pleasure in hearing about scandals of other believers. We are slandering the name of Christ when we do that to other believers. Another way we can misuse God's name is the idea of perjury. And the Old Testament speaks so much about this, and it's really interesting and really relevant and insightful when we think about the implications of perjury. Number one, you cannot have justice in a society if people commit perjury. The innocent are found guilty, and the guilty are set free. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, says that God detests perjury. The idea of deceitfulness. Deceitfulness is one of the fastest and quickest ways that we destroy relationships. If you have a friendship with somebody, or your spouse, or any relationship we have, and you are lying to them, trust is taken away. As followers of Christ, as Christians, our word is to mean something. Speaking the truth is significant. Another way that we misuse God's name is in false words from God. And this is, this is definitely more in church culture. This is the kind of stuff that if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're visiting us, and people say stuff like this, and, and then you go like, Christians are crazy people, okay? So this is how, if we're Christians this morning, if you're a Christian, this is how Christians get a crazy, bad, stupid reputation, okay? 
You can Google this too. <clears throat> You're going to get all kinds of crazy things. God told me dot, dot, dot. The most horrible crimes, the most crazy things people have done because they pull out their card and it says, God told me this. All right, turn. If you have your Bible, turn for just a moment to Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> and here's the problem with this. The problem with this is that if God puts something on your heart and you want to share it with somebody else, that can be one of the most encouraging, beautiful things that can happen within a church. My life has been, in a positive way, strongly encouraged, given direction to me in my life by other believers, older people in my life, that says, they've said something to the effect of, um, I can see God working in your life, and I want to encourage you to explore this or look at this and move this way. Tremendously positive. So a word from God to encourage people, it's one of those examples of it's one of the best things that can happen in a church, but it's also one of the worst things. Okay, here's worst case scenario. And I, this, is, this is almost so bad you think I'm making it up, but it's not. Okay, so this has happened in, in my life and in Karen's life where a guy who was dating another girl told her that God spoke to me in a dream last night and told me to tell you that we are to get married. He pulled out that one. God, God told me. Right? Okay, listen, girls, run for your life. <laughs> run. Okay, if you're part of our church, run. All right? Because that's, that's, that's like, like, really? Really? That, you're going to pull that out. Okay, so it, it worked, unfortunately. And the marriage lasted a really, really short time. And there was all kinds of really harmful things that happened. Really bad, really dangerous. And then... I think he pulled it again, it worked again, and, and probably before he was age 30, he'd been married three times. All right, so people, people misuse the name of God to manipulate other people. And I think, you know, I was talking to some of the guys this morning before church, that there, churches, churches do attract nutty people. They just do. I don't, it's, it's just weird, okay? And, but, if you're a healthy church and you've got healthy people leading the church, most of the time, nutty people just leave. They'll come and see if we're nutty, and if we're like not so nutty, then they'll leave, which is, which is okay. But I'm not, so I'm going I'm to read you what Jesus says about this, so I'm just not making this up. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says this Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, by the way, when the Bible repeats something, that means like that's the equivalent today of like an exclamation point. So these are like these are like really super happy Christians, like the cheerleader type Christians that are really emotionally charged up for Jesus, who are disingenuous. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many people will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Okay, did we not speak words in your name? Did we not do, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did not, we did these really amazing, powerful, cool things where people would go, ooh, and ah, and do many mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
And so we can, people, people can miss people who represent themselves or say to the public that they are followers of Christ, saying, Lord, Lord, they can misuse the name of God. And it's always for their own benefit. It's always about manipulating other, manipulating the name of God, manipulating Jesus to get what they want. Pastors do this really well. Give lots of money or Jesus won't bless you. And we manipulate. Listen, the list is inexhaustible of ways that people can manipulate the name of Jesus, the name of God. The point of this is that God, God is significant. We are not to empty his name, to trivialize his name, to try to manipulate his name for our own good. Another way, and this fits here also in this passage, another way that we misuse God's name is that we use God's name to open up doors for us without a, a genuine relationship with him. This happened to me when I was 16 years old. My first car, 1968 Volkswagen van, amazing, beautiful. I wish I had it to this day. Perfect body, right? So if you're a 16-year-old guy, <laughs> we, what do we look at? We look at the body of the car, right? Uh, we don't care about the inside. We just want the body to be attractive. And this was, and the guy pulls out the Christian, I was making like a little point there with like women too, right? But nobody got it. Right. That's, what, that's what 16-year-olds do and 20-year-olds. The guy pulls out, and I said, I don't know how this happened, small town, and uh, somehow I found, he found out that I went to the First Baptist Church of Port Townsend. And then he pulled out the, oh, that's great, I'm a Christian too. He had me. I, I like bit it full on. He reeled me in and hooked me, bought the car like that, even though on the back of the car, it had, I could see it, it had oil was splattered all over it. So I knew that the engine was leaking lots and lots of oil. But because it looked beautiful, and the guy said that he's a Christian, he wouldn't lie to me, right? Christians don't lie. Christians don't use the name of God to sell something. Never. People misuse the name of God to open up doors in the business world all the time. It's another way of misusing God's name. It's another way of emptying God's name of its significance where you're just using it for your own good to open up doors to make business deals happen. How does Jesus help us understand this? And let's think back first just to the Ten Commandments in general. Is that Jesus, Jesus is the only person or he is, I'll say this, he is the only person that actually lived out the Ten Commandments perfectly. The Ten Commandments reveal and show us what God is like. Jesus, more completely, more clearly, more perfectly, shows us what God is like. And Jesus is very clear on to help us live in a way that our God is big. That God is not common. And it starts with, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, it starts with, Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus teaches us to pray. Where he prays, our Father. And he doesn't say, that's a, that's a very profound statement to start off the prayer with our Father. Not our King, not our Lord, but Jesus. 
does a transition with who God is, his identity. He's our Heavenly Father. And then he says, hallowed be his name. Make his name heavy in your life. That's what the word means. The word glory means heavy. That it means something. That it's not an empty cereal box of lightweight nothingness. That God is heavy. Make his name ultimate in my life. Jesus helps us understand this third commandment by teaching us how to talk to God. Not in a, not in a religious, superficial way, but Jesus says, listen, I want you to talk to your Father, but I want you to hallow His name, that you make His name holy, that you understand who He is. If you have your Bible, I want to finish up with this. Philippians chapter 2. And this helps bring clarity too. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. This is speaking about Jesus. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's a big God. That's a heavy God. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The name Jesus Christ is not even close to being the most Google name in 2013. But, one day, so verse 10, one day, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' name will not be common in the future. Today, Jesus is patient, hoping that all who, who use His name in a common way, Jesus is patient for all of those who use His name as a curse word, that they will come to repentance because one day, all people will bow to the name of Jesus, will bend their knee to that name, We live this out by understanding two things that we find here in this passage. Number one is the idea of submission. That every knee will bow. Do, we wanna, do you want some helpful insight on how to lift up God's name high? You fill your life with Jesus and you submit to His name. You submit to His authority. You press deep into the life of Jesus that you see that name as more beautiful than any other name. And then your attitude and your response to that is one of submission. Because you see his name as more beautiful than anything else. Not as an authoritative, trying to kill your lifestyle type God. But Jesus Christ who offers redemption and freedom and healing to broken people. We also see confession that we speak with our mouth daily. You do that by reading Scripture. You do that by praying. You do that by singing and, and enjoying worship. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God our Father. A life filled up with Jesus will never empty out God's name 
of its significance. This is how we live out the third commandment. This is how we live out commandments one, two, and three, that God is ultimate, that God is to be worshipped as he reveals himself in his word, and that our life is filled with Jesus so that when we speak about God, our words are thoughtful, they're accurate, and they understand the true nature of who God is. Join with me in prayer, and then we'll have communion together. Father, I pray that that the truth of your word would reignite a love for your son Jesus, that we would see him as beautiful, that we would see him as our redeemer, the one who gives us grace, that our life would be full of your son so that we would never misuse your name, so that we would never turn it into a common name, but that we would lift it up high as the one who gives new life to all who ask. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.